my name is Wellington Smith, and I am happy to have such an informative guest join the podcast today, Dave White. Coach White owns and operates a sports facility in Millburn, New Jersey, that holds three courts, batting cages, and a fitness training center for athletes of all ages. Coach White works with children from all walks of life and has been a big influence in my life, helping me grow my own company, Wellington Smith Basketball Academy. Here's my conversation with Coach White. Hey, Coach White. I really appreciate you uh, getting on here and, and giving us some time. Uh, thanks a bunch. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so let's, let's jump right into it. Uh, I know you, but our listeners don't know you. you know, tell us a little more about yourself. Uh, well, I, uh, 52 years old, have a wife and three kids, and uh, live in the Melbourne Short Hills area. Um, spent time in you know, corporate America early on in my career, and then uh, moved into the indoor sports recreation business. I, I own and operate the Sports Academy in Melbourne, New Jersey, which is a place that houses three basketball courts, and, and we have artificial turf that goes over our courts, so it allows us to do things like uh, soccer, lacrosse, baseball, field hockey, anything you can play on grass. Um, and we also do a lot of birthday parties and bar and bat mitzvahs and fundraisers and, and things like that. And it's been, uh, we've been open since April of 2002. I like to say I was, a, I was a young man in my thirties when I opened it, um, and had young kids and now, uh, I'm not so young anymore, but the business is great. It's a lot of fun. It's what I truly love to do with working with kids and sports and I find it very rewarding. That's great. That's great. It definitely is rewarding to give back to uh, kids of all ages. What was your inspiration in doing that, leaving corporate America and opening up your own sports academy? Well, I always, I always loved sports growing up, and I, and I played sports uh, throughout my youth and, and in high school. And when I was in the, uh, in the corporate world, we were involved in a business that we sold. So I was looking for, for new opportunities. And you know, the old expression, if you find something you love, you never work a day in your life. So one of my objectives was to try to find something like that. And I was able to be, you know, very lucky, very fortunate to put together my love of, uh, of sports and, and coaching and teaching and, and be able to earn a living doing that. And have you ever worked a day in your life after opening up the Sports Academy? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, they're, they're not every day is a great day. I hear you. Um, but you know, it's uh, you're you know you have you have different issues. You know, I, I will say that that bad days are days like you know three or four years ago, Hurricane Irene came in and uh, and overflowed a, a a creek not far from our location and wound up entering the building and and creating a lot of damage and things like that that you just have no control over. Um, are very stressful and very hard to deal with, but thankfully, you know, with the great help of my staff and, and we got everything back together and, and didn't really miss that much uh, operating time. You know, days like that are, are days when you're really working and you're, and, you know, again, very stressed out about things that you can't control. Um, as far as the other things, you know, not everything's easy, but nothing is, nothing's really work, if you will, in that regard. That's huge. That's huge. Um, now you have three basketball courts. Your main focus is, I'm assuming, basketball. How did you yourself get started playing basketball uh, at an early age? 
Well, you know, my dad was a great athlete in in high school. In fact, um, he played back in the day in the uh, you know in the fifties in, in a, a high school in upstate New York, where you could play more than you know the three sports you could play now. He lettered in football, basketball, baseball, tennis. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned football or not. So he was a great athlete. He instilled that love of sports. Um, and I think his favorite sport was basketball. And, and we used to spend a lot of time in the driveway playing ball. Um, we also, because of his job, moved quite a bit when I was younger. And he was away a lot during the week. So when he'd get back and he'd get, uh, get some time and get home, it, we would be spending you know, a few hours in the driveway working on stuff. And we did a lot of that until I think I got to be about 13, and then I beat him in a game of one-on-one. I think that's the last time he and I played uh, played one-on-one. It only takes one game. But uh, he was always there. I'm sorry? It only takes one game. It only takes one game. Yeah, that's when I stopped playing, too, when my, when my kids <laughs> beat me. But uh, but he always instilled that in me, and he was, uh, uh, he was a terrific player. And, and, and like me uh, – he was an undersized center, I guess. Uh, although back in the fifties, six foot two, six foot three, was, I guess, on the big side. Uh, and when I played, growing up here at Melbourne High School in Essex County during, you know, really the heyday of Essex County basketball, we had schools like uh, Our Lady of the Valley. Uh, there were still only eight high schools in Newark, so you had great talent coming out of there. Kelly Chapuka playing in Bloomfield. Um, East Orange and Orange, in fact, I'll, I'll never forget going to an Essex County final game with Our Lady of the Valley playing uh, a very good Orange team who were wearing uh, the old Marquette uniforms, untucked Marquette uniforms. Wow. And, uh, and the irony of that is one of my closest friends for the last 20 years was actually a, a referee for that game. So every once in a while when it comes to Essex County tournament time, we talk about it. But um, you know, playing on a suburban team in uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, we uh, we held our own. We were a 500 team, and uh, but it was just so much fun to be part of it. And that's when I really started spending a lot more time, sort of thinking about the game, um, and not necessarily with an eye towards coaching yet, but just being you know, sort of more observant than just you know the running up and down. I remember as a, as a senior watching Kevin Boyle play as a year younger than me at, at A.L. Johnson and Clark and watching him do things on the court as far as footwork is concerned and and using his body and, and things like that because he wasn't necessarily the most fi- uh, physically gifted guy. He wasn't the fastest guy or the tallest guy or the, could jump that high, but he got remarkable things done because of, of all the things we now teach as commonplace, footwork and, 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 and foot position and body position and so forth. And even to this day, I will, whenever I see Kevin, I will remind him of the things that, uh, that I learned from him, seeing him play. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Coach Boyle. Um, what were the other basketball idols that you had growing up? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to call Kevin an idol. <laughs> he and I both laughed at it. Actually, I joke, uh, we played them twice my senior year, and I scored a total of 44 points. And I remind Coach Boyle that, but he then reminds me that his team won both games. So, um, 
my idols growing up, uh, my number one idol, and I have a great story I can tell you later on about Bill Bradley. No, please uh, include it. He's one, he was one of my great idols, as was Kazzy Russell, who played at Michigan. That was one of my uh, one of my dad's heroes. Um, the uh, Ricky Green who was a point guard at Michigan, and uh, and Bob McAdoo. When I lived in Buffalo, New York, Bob McAdoo was a rookie, and uh, have a great uh, McAdoo story. Uh, about three years ago, I got a call from somebody from the Miami Heat that they were playing the Nets in in, uh, in Brooklyn and were staying at a local hotel and needed a place to have practice. And so I, of course, said yes, and, and the Heat came in probably with more security than if the president were visiting. And the first guy through the door was Bob McAdoo, and I was like a, a teenage girl with Elvis Presley. I was so excited to see him. He proceeded to, bring, he proceeded to bring LeBron James and Dwayne Wade over and started teasing them that actually somebody wanted to talk to him instead of them. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was a great memory of you know, getting to meet one of your, your absolute idols. Uh, the Bill Bradley story, I had a, a knee replacement surgery in New York at the hospital, hospital for special surgery. It turns out the doctor... The patient on the operating table just prior to me was Bill Bradley, so the doctor introduced us, so that was a lot of fun walking around, rehabbing, and, and spending time talking to uh, such a, a, a great basketball player as well as you know a great human being. I mean, here's how many times you get a chance to talk to somebody who's accomplished all that he did and, and been a presidential candidate. It was, very, uh, it was a very interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, meeting like, being guys like that kind of changes the way that you uh... – that you kind of hold yourself as well. I mean, I would, yeah. you know, mean, mean well, I, I also have somebody um, that kind of came to be not somebody that I necessarily uh, idolized, but somebody who I became, came to admire greatly um, later, much later on in life. Uh, and I'm going to embarrass you by saying that it was, it was you. Uh, oh. I met, uh, you know, I met you casually, in a, in a coffee shop here in Milburn after having taken my son out to the Final Four and watching you play in your last game in the Final Four in Indianapolis, and we got to be great friends. And I got to see the kind of role model that you could be for young men. Um, and as, as you know, Wellington, I, I spent a year coaching at Summit High School, which was your alma mater, and one of my favorite experiences in that season was, was having a Wellington Smith night on uh, – on a Friday night and honoring you for all that you had done. And I would constantly point to, to you as an example of what can be accomplished uh, to all the young men that I, that I coach there. So uh, I have great admiration for you. Uh, and that goes far beyond what you ever accomplished uh, on the basketball. Well, I, I definitely appreciate that. That's uh was not expecting, <laughs> was not expecting that. And that was, um, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And, um, you know, obviously the relationship that we, that we have built over the past few years will only continue to grow. Um, because of, of, of course you have as impacted my life and also my career, uh, as I have continued to grow my sports Academy, um, and, and have definitely just, you know, gave me as much, as much tips as of, you know, as how to run it, how to, how to teach kids, how to impact youth. Uh, so I definitely look to you in, in the same regard. Um, well, you know, it's it, it's interesting. One of the 
one of my coaching idols, if not my primary coaching idol, uh, was John Wooden. And you know, I, I wasn't, I'm not into the, the, the spiritual aspect of sort of his success, but I was but I'm very much into all the other things, which, interestingly enough, with kids now that we coach, more more of them than not don't know who John Wooden is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you you quote John Wooden or you, you talk about a Wooden philosophy, and you get a lot of eye-rolling. And you send them off to their computers and tell them to go Google Coach Wooden and all that he accomplished, and then they come back to you and they listen a little bit more attentively because they realize you're talking about somebody who accomplished something in a 10-year span that nobody will ever accomplish. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, that's, that's who I like to pattern a lot of, of, of what I do philosophically outside just, you know, the X's and O's of basketball. You, you, know, you mentioned, you know, help as far as, you know, your business and so forth. And one of the things that people have to realize is when you're coaching, you're a teacher, and that doesn't necessarily mean just how to make a layup or how to defend uh, pick and roll, but it has a lot to do with, if not more to do with, life lessons. Um, mm-hmm. I remember every coach I ever had, um, and I remember the good things and the bad things, and I remember being spoken to in a way uh, at points in my basketball career that I said, wow, that, that's something that I really do not like being spoken to that way and I do not want to make anybody feel that way, so you consciously make a decision, uh, even with you know, negative influences, how to, uh, how to lead your life and how to coach and, and, and help grow kids. And one of the most rewarding things for me is when I hear back from former players, and, you know, and I've coached girls' basketball as well as boys, and girls, uh, that I've, women now that I used to coach, and having children and, and the accomplishments in their lives and graduating from grad school and players who you know, were struggling academically and made dean's list. You know, to me, that's really, uh, you know, the uh, the true reward. You know, it, it, you don't have to be a great basketball coach to win to win games. You just need to have really good players. Yeah. Um, and, but if you if you really want to be successful at this, I think you not only have to teach them how to play basketball, but you know, help them where you can be great people. Mm-hmm. And, and building relationships. Um, absolutely. And that, absolutely. Kind of, and that moves into my next question. Who was probably the most impactful coach that you've had throughout your playing days? As a player? Um, you know, I, I, had a, I had a coach early on that I, that I felt uh, said and did a lot of things that I, met, I alluded to a moment ago that were, were destructive and divisive. And look, everybody needs uh, to be yelled at sometimes. Everybody needs criticism sometimes. And what I learned from this particular coach was that if all you do is yell and scream and jump up and down and criticize, then it just becomes a whole bunch of noise and nothing sticks out. So, you know, my, my coaching strategy is, you know, you've seen me coach is, you know, I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. Um, and, and and I'm not somebody who derides my kids. And my, my philosophy is that they're, even if they're seven feet tall, sometimes you got to remember that they're still in high school 
and they still have high school issues and, and, and maturity issues and so forth. And to sort of adjust to what you do to the type of kids that you have. Um, the more old school approach was, you know, it's my way or the highway. And that still works to, to a certain extent because you need to have structure and discipline and the team needs to all be on the same page. But you need to realize that each kid has different circumstances in their lives that are going to impact them, which then they carry into the gym, um, whether it be you know family issues or pressures in school or, or anything like that. Um, you know, one of the things I try to do and try to always have a good understanding is if, if something has happened in, in, in one of my players' lives in their day that has been really problematic or troublesome for them, I give them the opportunity to talk to me about it if, if they want. But then I don't want to go into practice and, and, and make their day even worse by piling on. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and without, without saying that overtly to the players, and I think that there's a great appreciation for that amongst players who say, wow, this person cares about me not just you know, as to how, many, how we're going to win a basketball game, but you know, how I'm going to get through the day or get through the week or the month of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now that, that goes into what I was, uh, I spoke to one of my ex-teammates, uh, Darius Nichols, who is actually the assistant coach at L- Louisiana Tech University right now. Um, mm-hmm. And one of his biggest things is that even in college, you have to continue building relationships around your players um, so that they could actually understand that, hey, I'm not just a coach, I'm your friend. Uh, hopefully uh, uh, somewhat be a father figure um you know right. so those are things that you know really impacted me as well you know moving forward even with yourself uh even with the coaches that i've met in the past or coaches i just come in contact with getting little nuggets here and there from different coaches and, and from different people oh, yeah. always helps um, well you know it's funny any any coach worth their salt and who's being honest and that could go all the way from you know coach calipari down to a high school coach it will tell you that the smart coaches know who to steal from. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, you, you can't, it, to be successful in this game, and possibly and probably in life too, is you can't adopt the philosophy or you can't operate under the, if I didn't think of it, it's not a good idea. So, you know, we were looking, uh, I was looking through some old sets uh, that I've done over the years this morning, in fact, and got it off to our, to our head coach because, you know, I was thinking about ways for us to really take advantage of our personnel. Um, I'm coaching at the, at, at the Patrick School this year, more commonly referred to as St. Pat's, which is, you know, historically one of the top programs in New Jersey, if not the country. You know, we have uh, Kyrie Irving and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist are now playing in the NBA, but and those are guys who came out of our program. And we have a, a, a just a terrific assemblage assemblage of young, you know, sophomores and juniors in all shapes and sizes and abilities, and and, and trying to go back and look at okay, who who were teams in the past that had similar type of personnel and, and what did they run and how could we do it? And I found something from my uh, from my Jim Beeline Beeline archives, and you and I have talked a lot about Coach B, being that he is from yeah. West Virginia and uh, and I'm originally from Michigan. And, you know, you have to be smart enough to know what you don't know. I guess uh, that was a rather long way of saying that rather simple line. Yeah, no, and that's a great way to put it. 
Um, now, you talk about St. Pat's uh, or the Patrick School, as it's referred to now. Why, why coach there uh, is the first question. And, and following that question, who are some of the guys that we may need to look out for uh, that you know, some people just don't know about yet? Well, you know, my, my – just going back sort of in the archives, if you will, you know, when I, when I really kind of got into coaching – was coaching my own children, my oldest of whom is 26. And I realized that I really loved it and it was something I wanted to do and wound up as the head varsity girls basketball coach at the Pingree School out in uh, Basking Ridge, New Jersey, for nine years. Had a successful run there, turned out a lot of terrific teams. They really had, The program really, had, I don't think they even qualified for the state tournament prior to our arrival there. And... One of the great things about that experience was, uh, in order to be, uh, you know, I, I hate to make a what some people might perceive to be a sexist comment, but you know, girls tend to play the game more technically sound, um, uh, whereas guys very often can get away with things due to athleticism or strength or explosiveness. People have said, you know, the girls play on the floor and guys play at the rim, so. One of the things I learned through, was very valuable, if not the most valuable thing about coaching girls for nine years, was you learn to become a very good technical teacher. And so, which goes back to the Kevin Boyle comment from earlier, how to set your feet before the ball arrives, how to do everything you can to get your shot off more quickly. Um, you know, pre-ball arrival is we, we call it. And if you have a terrific player, when I was at Summit, we had a terrific player named Bashaw Mickens, who was just head and shoulders above the competition that we were playing in our particular conference. And he could get away with a lot of stuff because of his natural ability. By the way, Bayshon's down at Monmouth now, uh, playing for Monmouth University. And uh, Wellington has been a great mentor to, to him as well. Um, but Bayshon learned when he got down to Monmouth that all those other things, all those, uh, uh, those fine points really come into play as you get to a level where where size, strength, and ability tends to level out. Um, and that's what we find when we're at practice at Pats. You know, we put we put 10 really good players on the court, and the practices are, are brutal and competitive, and, you know, everybody's fighting for time, and, um, you know, and, and you got to do, you got to do all the small things right in order to to move past those guys ahead of you. Um, we, and in terms of kids to, to look out for this year in, in New Jersey, we have a, a young man named Bryce Ake, who's our junior point guard, who's a very, very talented player, um, uh, just under six feet tall, as good a high school point guard as I've ever seen. Um, terrific shooter, great passer, great defender, uh, it's got drawn a lot of interest from a lot of uh, very well-known colleges. We're curious to see um, where he winds up in a couple of years. Um, and he really kind of, you know, he, he, he drives the bus, if you will. Uh, and then we have uh, 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 two terrific starting guards, Marcus McClary and, and Jameer Harris. We go three guards who are also on the radar of, of a lot of schools. Um, Terrific shooters. Marcus is very long and is is a great defender as well. Uh, and then we're blessed with with a tremendous amount of size 
Um, so we have, we have uh, a transfer who's 6'11", named Nick Richards, who uh, has a terrific body, terrific touch around the basket, very, very athletic. Um, we have uh, a young man named Cyril Levine, who is about 6'8 right now and is really starting to come into his own as a player. Uh, and, you know, we're young, so that's one of the things you always you battle against. You know, and you have teams that we will be competing against, like a Roselle Catholic or St. Anthony's, that have older players, you know, potentially more mature. And we play both those teams during the course of the season, so we'll, uh, we'll get to really sort of measure ourselves against them. Um, we have a very, very tough opening night against Linden a week from Friday. Always a great rivalry. Uh, packed gym. Um, and, you know, they, they always have uh, terrific teams, regardless of their, you know, their size, their, their depth, their age, their strength. Uh, uh, their coach does a tremendous job preparing them every year. And they're a very, very, very tough physical uh, team, and it's going to be a real challenge uh, for us right out of the gate yeah i no, think Linden uh is always tough always tough team and Coach yeah and you know and the other thing too you know you have you know all, all the programs you know down to you know the the smallest group one to the biggest group four all do summer you know summer programs and things like that to try to get their kids as ready as you can be but you know the fact is that you start uh, you know, at Thanksgiving more or less and and have not a lot of time to get ready for that first game and you know the hope is that you, you start out the season playing well but then you, you really peak at the right time mm-hmm. now what is the biggest draw now Patrick School is a great academic school as well as a as a basketball school but what is the biggest draw for guys like uh like Bryce Aiken to go there um, and to thrive there. What is the biggest draw, and what is like the selling point? Uh, we well, know it's interesting. We, we're yeah, well for me as a coach. Like I have, it was a great opportunity to go in this year and be you know uh, a volunteer assistant coach there, um, which and for me to, to to be around players that are at that high a level and and they're great young men as well. Um, and, you know, part of the allure and the excitement of it, of, of schools like Pat's, like our city, like St. Anthony's, uh, St. Benedict's and things like that, is you get to go to places where you're going to be part of a, a program that really is looking to develop you for the next level. And that doesn't necessarily just mean the uh, playing basketball at the next level, but, but being able to get to college, be eligible right away, qualify through the NCAA clearinghouse, and so forth. You know, Bob Hurley at St. Anthony's is legendary for you know getting his 10, 11th, and 12th guys, you know, places in, in, in college, and and that's because Coach Hurley demands that they 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 work hard in in the classroom as well. So uh, you know, and in this day and age, you know, kids jump around quite a bit. You know, you'll hear about kids who will jump from one school to another and back to this one and that one. Uh, and you know, a lot of times they're looking sort of for the instant gratification of starting right away and 
and, and becoming a star. The kids who go to the schools that, that, that we just mentioned, those are kids who know they're going to have to go in there and they're going to have to work for their spot. They're going to have to work for their time because they're going to be challenged and they're going to be pushed and they'll be better for it. Because you know, it's not easy. You know, if no, you, you know, yeah, I'm sure you'll remember back, you know, playing for a suburban high school team, even though your team won a state sectional championship and was very good. You know, for most teams have five or six or seven good players, and the second unit doesn't really push the first unit very hard in practice. Uh, you know, for for some places, some schools, games sometimes are easier than practices because you're not playing the same level of of, of athlete. Or, 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 the, or the depth of, of the same number of athletes. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and going back to your last point about uh, kids leaving to, from their public school or maybe over a private school to transfer, we see that so many times now in high school basketball. Why do you think that is? You, you mentioned instant gratification. Do you think there is something else to it? I don't, look, a, AAU has become is a very big part of things now. Um, it was it was important when you played, um, and when you were you know in high school you know 15 years ago or 12 years ago. It's still um, it's still an important part of of getting these kids seen, and you know kids are young and impressionable, and if somebody who they think is in a position of, in of the know says, hey, you know, you really need to be at this school or that school, uh, then they think long and hard about it. Um, you know, it's funny. You don't need, I don't think you need to even, you know, they talk about recruiting, and recruiting is illegal in New Jersey, um, and we don't do it, and, and the other schools don't do it, and we don't do it because we don't have to do it. You know, mm-hmm. people, people want to play, uh, you know, for, for schools. They want to play for Bob Hurley or, they, or Chris Chavannis at St. Pat's or, or Mark Taylor at St. Benedict's or down for Coach Boyle in Monteverde in, in Florida. Uh, you know, and, you get kids who are, are more specialized now. When I was growing up, um, you played two or three sports. I was also a track athlete. Um, I love when I, when I was coaching, I loved having football players and I loved having baseball players. And, uh, you know, and, and they were sort of more well-rounded, sort of between the ears, we'll say, than the guys who specialized because they – it's very rare to have somebody who is a star in all three sports. So if you're a sort of a second level player on your 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 football team and you're a star of the basketball team or vice versa, you you get to spend a lot of time looking at things from, you know, through a different prism and it helps you become a better teammate. Plus, you know, you, get, you hear all the time about overuse injuries because kids are playing year round the same sports using the same muscles. Um, and that's always a concern as well, trying to get kids to dial it down a little bit. Yeah, and you rarely hear, you know, athletes playing two, three. Um, would you say that this area, the New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania area, is the hotbed for high school basketball? No, it's hard, it's hard to, to make that declarative statement. Um, you know, there are so many places where good players come out of um, you know, certainly the California and and parts of Texas and um, and Chicago of course but you know for the 
New Jersey is in a very interesting um, state when you look at it because it is a relatively small state and as anybody who's from New Jersey like you and I know it's the most densely populated state in New Jersey there's a lot of very very high quality basketball players here um, you know one of the laments uh, a colleague and I were talking about yesterday is why what what can Rutgers do to uh, such a great school you know to keep some of this talent at home and you know I think if you took all the talent in New Jersey um, and you wrote it all down, a lot of people outside the state might say, wow, that's a lot of great basketball coming out of that little state. Mm-hmm. Why can't Rutgers and Seton Hall get together? Or maybe, maybe just Rutgers. You know, what's, what's going on there? We have, there are so many New Jersey athletes that may or may not want to go to Rutgers. But, you know, there's, right. there's athletes here. Why can't they get well, talent? Yeah, look, I mean, I, looking at it just, you know, as a – as a New Jersey resident and a sports fan for a moment, and as, and as a parent, you know, I had three kids who all went to large public universities in different states. And sometimes people just want to get away from home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that's the case, you know, some people want to go where it's warm and some people want to go someplace where, you know, they got a great football tradition or, or any number of things and they – don't even, Rutgers doesn't even get on the radar because of it. You know, Seton Hall doesn't have football. It depends on what the kids are, are, are really looking for. Um, dating myself and going back to the old days of, of Seton Hall and the old, um, the old Big East Conference as we came to know it, that, that's con- that conference was built on the, the ability of, of those schools to be able to say something that most places couldn't, which is, hey, you come here, you're going to be on TV half a dozen times a year. Yeah. Um, and then with the rise of cable sports and other things like that, that lure, that carrot, uh, kind of went away. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Seton Hall is in South Orange. It's a beautiful campus. It's a great school. But it's not, you know, uh, it's not blooming in Indiana, and it's not Durham, North Carolina, um, and sometimes that that can be a hard sell uh, to top players. St. John's probably has a similar situation. They have a, a campus in Queens that 99% of the world's never seen. You go inside their their four walls; it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, Rutgers is Rutgers is a quandary. It's, it is a it's, a it's a tough one, especially with. I'm hoping that their addition into the Big Ten. Now, as somebody who grew up a Big Ten person from the Midwest, will will help elevate the uh, the basketball program there. Yeah, you would hope. Um, I think the biggest thing with them is that they have to renovate. Well, let me <laughs> ask let me back. ask you a question. Is yeah. you, I mean, you were a standout at Summit High School. You went to Blair for a year, and then you went to the University of West Virginia, which you know, you grow up in the New York metropolitan area here. And you got to jump on a train from where we live, and you're in the city in half an hour. You know, West Virginia is a very different world. Why, why not Rutgers for you? Uh, that's a good question. I think for me, it was more of who was loyal to me first, uh, who reached out to me first, and the, and the better program at the time. Um, the better program at the time was, uh, was West Virginia. And mm-hmm. It was also Wake Forest. It was also Georgia Tech. UVA, um, actually not UVA at the time. They are good now. Uh, right. And 
as much as my mom <laughs> wanted me to stay home, I did want to get away a little right. bit. Uh, and but that could have all been, uh, you know, been taken away if you know Rutgers at the time would have gotten on me when I was a sophomore in high school, or right, uh, or when they were, or if they were a lot better. You know, if, if Rutgers was a top team in the Big East, then right. shoot, why not go? Or the same same yeah. regard for Seton Hall as well. But at the time, uh, Seton Hall was losing their coach. Uh, Rutgers was losing their coach, who is uh, Coach Waters, who's doing who has done an amazing job at uh, University of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it it's a uh, it's a catch twenty two. As, as long as you know, if a program is doing a lot better than they should be then that means they have yeah. obviously a, an amazing coach uh, and also they yeah. have an well, amazing program. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, what what attracts people is winning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Alabama is great in football because <laughs> it's not a hard sell. It's not a tough sell. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that you see very, right now, it's very interesting. There's an article about it. Uh, I think it's Sports Illustrated uh, uh, or the one of the local papers about what University of Maryland, which is one of where one of my kids went, what they're doing with their their uniforms, much like Nike out in Oregon, and how much of an important recruiting tool that has become. You know how cool your uniforms are. Uh, you know, and if you, then you look at the the other side of the coin. Uh, I have a young man who I coached when I was coaching youth football for a number of years. He's now on the the Penn State football team, and you know, you talk about the most boring uniform in the history of, of sports. Um, and you, know, you, like the white you have helmet, to decide the white, if, the white jersey, yeah, blue and white. You know, and, and, yeah. and you have to decide if uh, you know it, you, you really are out there marketing yourself and selling yourself. I remember my son, who's now freshman at Blue at, at uh, Indiana, uh, told me he was going to apply to Oregon. And I said, you know, Oregon, it's, you know, why Oregon? Well, they have cool uniforms. There you go. So, yeah, so that was a $65 application fee that was a waste because uh, we really knew he wasn't <laughs> going to Oregon. But, uh, but you know, it's it's amazing what, what, you know, how things are sold now. You sell winning. You know, Coach Calipari sells things differently as, you know, look, we know you're only going to come here for a short time and, uh, and, 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 Go play professionally, and uh, Coach Shesky has uh, a different, much different program. With uh, for, uh, Kyrie being an exception, people who come and play, you know, three or four years, and then you have, you know, the mid majors, which you see every year in the NCAA tournament. There's always one or two mid majors that really surprise people, and that's because they, they they get good basketball players and they keep them for four years. You know, the, yeah. the Gordon Haywards of the world, I think, although he might have left after three years. Um, it's a lot of good coaches out there, and a lot of a lot of beautiful schools. And you know, I always tell every kid that that I ever coach when they're looking at schools, you have to make sure it's someplace you want to be. If you blow out your knee moving into your dorm freshman year, mm-hmm. because there's much more to life than than playing that sport. And uh, you know, I, I torture, <laughs> I torture the kids I play who play for me, correcting grammar and 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 things like that because I I say, look, if you go into a job interview and 
and somebody asks you a question, and your answer is yeah, yeah. the interview is going to be over. So uh, say say yes instead, and you know I get a lot of eye rolls, but I'm used to that with my own kids. But uh, you know, hopefully someday someone's going to remember that that old Coach White uh, reminded him to look somebody in the eye and and, and say yes instead of yeah. So no, I, I totally agree. You have to, you have to keep you have to teach morals and and teach everything else other than basketball sometimes. Um, what are the, and this is going to be the last question. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, what are some of the challenges uh, of coaching in general uh, and also at, particularly at your level? Well, generally, you know, in general terms, and I, in, in the business that I have here at the Sports Academy, I coach in a very interesting sort of position. I coach kids from four years of age up to, you know, high school level players who have an opportunity to go on and do some pretty tremendous things. And the way, the greatest challenge is finding a way to effectively communicate, I think. Um, I am fond of saying that everything I say makes perfect sense to me when it's coming out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make sense to anybody else. So it's finding the right way to communicate. And one of the things that's happened in the last 15 or 20 years is, you know, our educational system has begun to, begun to identify that there's different types of, of ways that people learn. And if you can really kind of get a handle on that and figure out who's a visual learner and needs, and this is somebody who anytime you're demonstrating, you will actively put that person in a demonstration so that they pick it up. Um, if you have kids that are uh, from, you know, you know, English is their second language and there potentially are, are language issues in addressing them. Uh, there are, I've had lots and lots of kids with the, the very uh, prevalent, you know, attention deficit disorder, and trying to get them to focus and and stay focused. Um, that's the that's the biggest sort of challenge, right there. Um, the other thing that happens, and I had this conversation with with a colleague of mine who is a tremendous tremendous human being, a tremendous basketball coach, um, Roger Blind at Melbourne High School, who I was his assistant for a year. Um, and learned more in that year than I think I, I did in five years prior. Um, one of the issues that you have now is there's so many distractions, if you will, and so many different things for kids to do that very often we get frustrated because we can't understand the lack of, of passion that the players sometimes show versus what the coaches have. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I, I whenever I speak at camps or anything like that, I always joke about the fact that back in the old days, music came on big plastic discs, the phone was attached to the wall, and you actually had to get up to change the channel on the television. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, you know, the kids don't get it. And then, for, in a basketball standpoint, I go, guys, I, I played before there was a three-point line. You know, and then they want to know if that, that we used to have to get a ladder out to take the ball out of the peach basket every time. <laughs> Somebody made a basket, but uh, sometimes it's 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 hard 
when you look and you say, why doesn't this person or this player have this sort of the same level, your basketball IQ, if you will, we, we use that term, uh, that that I did or that you did or, or some, somebody else did. And that's just because there's so many other things that are drawing them and pulling them away that, that, that it becomes rare for somebody to become as sort of all in as, and as invested in, in the game. Um, great example of that is Eric Spolster from the Heat. There was an article in Sports Illustrated about him um, and his intense dedication uh, to the game. And I was, you know, the day that they practiced here a few years ago, the Heat were here, I was incredibly impressed with with Coach Spolstra. Uh, but the funny thing was, as, as he and I spoke about, we all teach the same things at different levels. Uh, you know, find the rim, you know, better pass, down lower on defense, you know, all the things you hear in the you know, Miami Heat practice, you'll hear at a St. Pat's practice or a Summit High School practice or, you know, Milburn Recreation uh, team practice if it's being taught properly. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's the challenge. The other challenge coaching-wise is, is keeping Mrs. White happy because uh, I spent a lot of time during the winter uh, <laughs> and her around until my practice or my games are over. But I'm very appreciative of all that she does uh, in that regard. Well, I'm sure you're not the only one that has that same that uh, that same challenge. Right. <laughs> um, well, Coach, this was this was incredibly helpful. I really appreciate your time. Um, where can people find you? How can people get in touch with you? Well, you know, again, the old joke was people would say, hey, you know, you look familiar, and the joke would be, uh, you know, from the post office where they used to hang the wanted posters up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anybody has any questions, would like to reach out, share any thoughts, uh, disagree with anything I said, uh, you can go on our website, which is www.the-sports-academy.com. There's a contact us button, and... Uh, and I love talking basketball. I love talking uh, youth sports, uh, and uh, you know, particularly enjoy spending time talking to my my friend Wellington, who uh, I'm glad to see is doing so well. And uh, and it's it's always a pleasure to speak to you. No, oh, I really appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time, uh, and also for the the ton of support that you've given me over the years, uh, and also today. Hey, my friend, I tell my children, you get what you give, and you give so much, that's why you get back so much. Thank you. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's grab some lunch soon, and, uh, and hopefully get the chance to talk to you soon after this. I'm, I'm, I'm there, and you're buying. All right, sounds good. <laughs> all right. All right Bye to all. Thanks for having me, Walter. I really appreciate it. You too. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Take care. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening to the Game Changer Basketball Podcast. If you're a basketball coach and want to use the Game Changer Basketball app for instant stats, shot charts, and recap stories, please feel free to download the app on your iOS device and create your team, or you can create your team online gc.com create. Follow us on Twitter at GC Sports Hoops, and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gamechangerbasketball. If you like the show, Please be sure to give us a positive review that makes the episode easy to find for coaches like yourself. Like always, keep teaching, celebrating, and learning from your players and coaches around you.